Okay. Well, as we, uh, as we prepare to look at the theme of God's power, God's sovereignty, we're going to read a few verses from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Uh, if you'd like to turn there, that would be great. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We'll read from verses 10 to 13. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. Amen. Uh, Let's pray again uh, as we open God's word together. Lord God, we turn to your word now and we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to see your power, just to glimpse a little bit more of how great and awesome you are, how mighty. Lord, we pray that we would have our hearts stirred and encouraged tonight, uh, that you would um, speak to us now through the power of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this evening we're continuing our sermon series uh, called Living Theology. Uh, and in this sermon series, it's kind of like we're building a house together. Uh, it's, it's slow going. Uh, we started a few weeks ago by clearing all the weeds off the ground, leveling it out. And uh, that was when we looked at the question, well, can we know God? And if so, how? How has God revealed himself? And we saw that we can know God. Uh, we can know him through the living word, Jesus and through the written word, the Bible. But now that we've cleared that ground, we're ready to start laying the foundation. And the foundation, the center, the core of all theology is God. Who is God? What's He like? And unless we start here and we get this right, uh, everything else we build is going to be wonky. Unless we really know who God is, we're going to end up misunderstanding why we're alive and what we should be living for. It's kind of going to be like trying to write an essay when you don't know what the essay question is. So that's our focus at the moment. We're asking the question, what is God like? And last week, Pastor Jack started answering that question by showing us that God is limitless. Uh, Maybe you remember that. He showed us that God is so mind-boggling that we can never fully understand Him. Uh, and He doesn't depend on anything, and He never changes, and He's eternal, and He's everywhere all at once. God is limitless. Now today, we're going to continue asking what God's like, and we're going to focus on God's power. We want to think about what it means for God to be all-powerful, or, or the theological word is omnipotent, omnipotent. Or sometimes we use the word sovereign. Uh, In his excellent book, Truth on Fire, 
uh, which I'm going to quote from quite a bit tonight, Australian pastor Adam Ramsey writes this, when we talk about sovereignty, we're exploring the question of who's in charge here? If life is a story, who's holding the pen? Who is the one deciding things from the cosmic level of the location of each star to the comical level of the shapes of human toes? Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, the answer to this question might just slip off your tongue without even thinking about it. God. God's in charge. I mean, I sing that with my one-year-old boy every day. He's learning the actions. My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's true. And that is true. That's what the Bible says. But I think it's really important that we dig into this a little bit more because this truth has enormous applications for our lives. It affects our lives in more ways than we realize. The sovereignty and power of God makes a difference to how we watch the news, to how you evangelize, to how you cry at a funeral, to how you pray, to how you parent your kids, to how you choose a boyfriend or girlfriend. And if you're here tonight and you aren't a Christian, oh, I want to say welcome, really glad you're here. And I want you to know that this truth we're going to talk about tonight is one of the most central, important things that Christians believe. In fact, if God really is all-powerful and sovereign, uh, then this is going to shatter your life. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, but I'm also not sorry, because God's sovereignty provides the best life-shattering you could ever hope for, because as it turns your whole world upside down, God's sovereignty leads to a life that is more satisfying and comforting and meaningful than you could find anywhere else. With that said, let's get into it. What does it mean for God to be all-powerful, to be sovereign? Uh, we're going to look at God's power this evening through three lenses. Uh, we're going to first look at God's power through the lens of, of Him being Creator. Then second, Him being Lord. And then third, Him being Saviour. Let's begin with lens number one, God's power displayed in his role as creator. Remember the big question we're asking. Who's in charge? And we might give lots of different answers to that question. We might say, well, it's just fate. It is what it is. Touch wood. Just get on with it. Or we might say, well, it's nature. It's really just nature. We're part of the natural world. It's guided by evolutionary processes or we might say, it's, it's us. Uh, ultimately, ultimately we're, we're in charge. We decide what we do, who we want to be, who we're going to become. Or we might say, no, there really is some kind of supernatural, I think. Uh, but I wouldn't say that there's one God who's in control of everything. I mean, it looks more like a power struggle out there between good and evil. I wonder what you would say. Who's in charge? When we open the first page of the Bible, we start to discover an incredible answer. We meet a supernatural being, a God, someone who already existed before anything existed. 
before the universe, before the beginning, God is. And then he speaks. God said, let there be light. And what happens? There was light. Uh, The simplicity is staggering. How do you create light from nothing? Whenever I want to make something, I have to go to Bunnings for supplies, or, or the supermarket, or the veggie garden. But God is so powerful, He can create from nothing with just a word. God doesn't just have power, He is power in and of Himself. And so He doesn't need to draw power from anywhere else, He doesn't need to rely on anything else. He can create from nothing with just a word. Now think about that for a second. Theologian Matthew Barrett writes, When God thinks, things happen. His knowledge is causal, not merely contemplative like ours. So, so what he's saying is, when you and I think about a tree, uh, its leaves, its bark, its smell, its colour, we're thinking about something that already exists. We're observing. We're responding to what is already there. But God's thinking is different. Uh, Augustine sums this up really well. He says, quote, God does not know them because they are, but they are because He knows them. He created because He knew he did not know because he had created. Is your, is your mind spinning a little bit there? <laughs> when we think about God simply thinking and speaking all things into existence, uh, we start to see how silly it is to suggest that we might be in charge, don't we? Or that any other gods or, or devils might be in charge. How, how could they have power over God if their whole existence is constantly dependent on God. Uh, Isaiah 40, verse 15 says, Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Uh, I've actually got a bucket here. It's not because I'm feeling queasy. I've also got a little dropper here. One little drop from this dropper represents all the nations of the world. Every superpower, every USA, every China, every Russia that ever existed. Every Putin, every Hitler, every Napoleon, every Nebuchadnezzar. Every single person who's ever lived for all time, in all history, in God's perspective, they are like one drop in this bucket. which is really incredibly humbling for us, isn't it? It's like that moment when you zoom out on Google Maps, out away from your house and your street, Riverside and Launceston, Tasmania, Australia, planet Earth, and our galaxy, the Milky Way, and back beyond what they think might be another 200 billion other galaxies, to God's limitless power. That's the first way that we encounter the power of God. 
through his role as creator. Creation reveals that God has a level of power that is utterly higher and greater and more infinite than anything else. But that's actually just the beginning. God's power is revealed even more fully in his role as Lord. That's the second lens we want to look through this evening, the lens of God as Lord. Again and again, the Bible says, because God created everything, it belongs to him. That's the line it draws. Uh, Have a look at Psalm 95. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In His hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to Him. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Or Psalm 50. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. And all things belong to him, not just because he created them, but because he continues to sustain and uphold and rule all things. This is what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 16. In him, that is Jesus, the Son of God, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In him all things hold together. If God's power stopped flowing for one millisecond, you and I would cease to exist, these chairs, this room, our galaxy would enter oblivion. God wouldn't have to destroy it, He would only need to stop keeping it in existence. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, the Son upholds the universe by the word of His power. And this is why God is our Lord, the boss the master, the owner, the king, the ruler of everything. That's what we mean by sovereign. Sovereign means that God has the power and the right to do whatever he decides to do. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. Or Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? But this raises a difficult question. What about evil? What about when bad things happen? Many Christians will answer that by saying, God allows bad things to happen, but He certainly doesn't cause them. I I heard an Australian pastor a couple of years ago say that God didn't send COVID, uh, but He was powerful to use COVID for good. Which sounds kind of right, doesn't it? Because it seems to kind of get God off the hook and make sure that we don't say, well, God causes evil. But is it right? Because when we dig a little deeper, I'm not sure that that view does God any favours. 
it seems to leave us with the God of quick reflexes. A God who is a spin master. He's kind of like a super batsman. And he's got all these cricket balls flying at him at the same time. And somehow he manages to protect his stumps and hit every single ball for a six. uh, Miraculously turning a bad situation into good. Which is impressive and powerful for sure. But is it all powerful? Is it all sovereign? Doesn't that also mean that there would be evil powers and forces in the world that aren't controlled by God? Because if even one thing happens without God's permission, surely He isn't all-powerful and all-sovereign. When we turn to the Bible, it is crystal clear that nothing falls outside of God's control. He controls the roll of dice, Proverbs 16.33. He controls the heart of the king, Proverbs 21.1. He controls the number of each of our days, Psalm 139, and the number of hairs on our heads, Luke 12, verse 7. And quite shockingly, maybe, we discover that God doesn't just ordain the good things that happen, but also the bad. Deuteronomy 32, verse 39 says, There is no God beside me. I put to death and I bring to life. I have wounded, and I will heal, and no one can deliver out of my hand. Or Isaiah 45 verse 7, I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. He doesn't just allow disaster, He says He creates it. But how does that work? Doesn't that mean that then God is evil? The, the author of evil? Uh, Matthew Barrett explains it like this. I think this is helpful. He says, God is equally in control of evil and of good, but we should not assume that He relates to both in the same way. He goes on to say that when God ordains something good to happen, it comes directly from God's hand. But when God ordains something evil, Barrett says, it occurs indirectly, mediated through someone else from whom that evil originates. Okay, we'll unpack that. Um, We see it really clearly in the story of Job. You might, might remember that story. And God is the one who's absolutely in control of that story, isn't he? He ordains, yes, Job will experience horrific suffering and grief. Satan can't do a thing in that story without God's permission. Job understands that when he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. But here's the thing in that story. Although both God and Satan are at work in the evil, they have totally different intentions. Satan wants to use it to harm Job. God ultimately wants to do Job good. And although God ordains the evil, He mysteriously uses secondary causes to bring it about. It's actually Satan who carries out the evil deed and is responsible for it, not God. 
And the ultimate example of this is the cross of Jesus Christ. There's an amazing verse in Acts 2, 23. Peter says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. In other words, Christ's death was simultaneously both the plan of God and humans. God planned it for good, whereas the wicked men planned it for evil. God ordained it, but it was actually the wicked men who perpetrated it and were responsible for it. And this, friends, I hope your mind's not spinning too much. This is really the majesty and the mystery of God's sovereignty, as it's revealed in the Bible. (laughs) These two things are really held out to us together on a single platter, side by side. God doesn't just allow evil. He doesn't just use quick reflexes to turn that evil to good. No, He is the all-powerful Lord who actually ordains evil as part of His holy and perfect plan. His plan to do good to His people and to glorify His name. And friends, that is actually incredibly comforting. When, When natural disasters and wars fill our hearts with sorrow and fear, when our culture shifts and we worry about the next generation, when we suddenly receive a health scare, how amazing to know that God is still on His throne. He isn't bamboozled. He isn't on the back foot. No, He is Lord. Your Lord. When you pray without even thinking, Lord, please, you're speaking to the almighty, all-powerful one. So the sovereignty of God is a wonderful comfort, but it is also a challenge. It's a challenge because if He is Lord, then it means I'm not. If He owns and controls all things, then I don't. And this type of authority grates in our culture, doesn't it? You know, in the Middle East, they struggle to understand that God is loving. In Australia, we struggle to grasp that God is sovereign. In a society where we want to choose and control everything, from our gender, to who we sleep with, to who we marry, to what we spend our time on, to our careers, to what food we put into our bodies, the Bible says something so radical. It says, you belong to God. Um, Paul speaks in a context directly about sexual relationships. In 1 Corinthians 6, he makes this huge statement, you are not your own, he says. You were bought at a price, therefore honour God with your bodies. You are not your own. Christian, God bought you on the cross. He kind of owns you twice because He also made you. And then He bought you back through the blood of Jesus. So I have to ask you, is God on the throne in your life? And I'm asking that to the Christians in this room just as much as the non-Christians. Is God the Lord of your decisions, your finances, your time, your sexuality? How terrifying it would be to go head to head with this God, to take Him on, 
you would be like a dandelion in a hurricane. The only wise, natural, sensible, logical thing to do, surely, is to acknowledge that he's Lord and run to him and find refuge in him and find life and joy in him. Okay, we've looked through lens one. It's God's power as creator. We've looked through lens two. It's God's power as Lord. Now, finally, we're going to finish by looking through lens three, God's power as Savior. God's power as Savior. You see, at every step of the way, it is God's astounding power that makes our salvation possible. And it begins with the resurrection. The sheer power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. After three days, a dead and lifeless body stirs and stands and strides. Death could not hold him down, we sing. All that is wrong with our world, all sin, all evil, the power of Satan, the curse of death, all these things come undone in the resurrection of Jesus. And in his resurrection, we find the sure promise and hope of our own resurrection. As for him, so for us. Transformed from death to life. First, God in his sovereign power chooses and predestines us before the beginning of time. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. To quote Matthew Barrett again, he says, If you are a child of God, then Paul has this to say to you. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that happens in your life that has not been planned by God before the foundation of the world. In every single aspect of your life, God is at work to accomplish His eternal, unchanging, omnipotent, and gracious will. So God chooses and predestines us. And then second, God sovereignly draws us to Himself and regenerates our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is what we call conversion or, or being born again. And some of us here might be thinking, well, I mean, I would love to experience a miracle in my life. I'd really like to experience God's power. Well, let's not forget the miracle that's happened in the life of everyone who is a believer. That while we were dead in sins, enemies to God, slaves to Satan, our all-powerful God brought us to life, causing our dead hearts to breathe, to worship, to love. But God's power isn't just what first saves us. His power is also what changes us every day of our lives. The power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, Christian, right now. He is with you as you battle addiction and temptation and depression, as you grow the fruit of the Spirit, as you soldier on your way towards heaven. Chosen, born again, sanctified, and then one day 
as it says in Romans 8 verse 11, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Our dead bodies, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, go into the earth in weakness, but they are raised in power to live with God forever. When we put all that together, it's little wonder, I think, that Paul cries out in Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And this is our great confidence in evangelism, isn't it? This is our confidence when it seems almost impossible that our loved one could ever be saved. We remember the Lord of the mission who says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. And so as we open our mouths and feel foolish and nervous speaking about Jesus, we can also have a sense of confidence and expectation because with God, all things are possible. And this is also why we pray. This is why we can pray. If Jesus isn't all-powerful, how can we say, please save so-and-so? Please change their heart. Please open their eyes. It isn't us or our words that make our prayers powerful. It is the one who we pray to. So, I said earlier, that this doctrine of God being all-powerful and sovereign is one of the most foundational and central truths of Christianity. And I really hope that you might have caught a little glimpse of that this evening as we've looked at God's power as Creator and Lord and Saviour. And I hope that, like me, the immense power of God doesn't completely terrify you, but actually brings you comfort. Adam Ramsey says this. Here's what happens when we really understand the doctrine of God's sovereignty. His occupation of the throne no longer terrifies us. To the contrary, it satisfies us like a pillow for a weary head. It refreshes us like a desert oasis to a weary traveller. God's throne is only repulsive to the rebellious heart. For his children, it is a throne of grace, which we now approach with confidence to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we close, I'd actually like us to read together the words of Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 26. Now, I think these words beautifully capture the comfort that we can experience because God is all-powerful. So I'm going to read the question and then let's read the answer together. What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, that the Eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father because of Christ 
his son. I trust him so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul. And he will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends me in this sad world. He is able to do this because he is almighty God. He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. Let's pray together. Great God, Lord of all, creator, sustainer, saviour, we thank you that you have all the power. No one else deserves it. No one else could be trusted with it. We thank you that you are Lord and not us. And we thank you that you desire to use your power for good, for our good, for your glory. We thank you that we can be sure of this because of Jesus, that you used your power not to punish us, but to save us. We pray this week that we would find great comfort and encouragement knowing that you are all-powerful, that you are sovereign, that you are reigning, Lord God, that no one could ever remove you from the throne or pluck us from your hand or cause one of your promises to not come true. We thank you that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are our guarantee that you will bring us home. We give you the praise and the glory this evening again. Amen.